The book of Acts gives us patterns for apostolic Christian living and ministry. And the passage that we're turning our attention to today in Acts chapter 14 uh, describes something that's happening during Paul's first missionary journey. I've said it a couple of times uh, since we've started reading through Acts together. If you turn to the back of your Bible, it's highly likely that you have a map that's got some squiggly lines on it that are different colors, and usually those describe for you the different paths that Paul took on his missionary journeys. One of those squiggly lines is going to refer to the journeys that we're going to get into today. Uh, Paul's fir- Paul and Barnabas are on a journey. They've preached the gospel in a place called Cyprus. They've preached the gospel in Antioch and Iconium, and now uh, they've had a lively trip, and now they're in a city called Lystra. And in each of these cities uh, that they had been to before they reached Lystra, there had been a Jewish synagogue present, at least one synagogue in that city. And that was their traditional starting point for ministry. They would go to that new city, and they would find the synagogue, and they would start going to the synagogue to do ministry there, to preach the gospel, to talk about Jesus Christ, to talk about how he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, and that would be their launch pad for ministry in that city. Well, in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, they reached this new city called Lystra. Everybody say Lystra. They reached this city called Lystra, and Lystra is different than any place they've ever been before. Lystra, uh, there is no synagogue in Lystra. There's no mention of a synagogue in Lystra because there's not enough of a Jewish population in that area uh, that they could pool their resources and have a gathering place like a synagogue. Uh, Lystra was kind of a frontier town. It was kind of, kind of had a Wild West vibe to it. Uh, it was a Roman province, and it was a place where people were almost kind of like half barbarian. They were like almost like half wild. They were like a, they were pretty civilized and up with the times, but there were some times where you know things got a little wild. And Lystra was a town like that. And Paul and Barnabas show up at Lystra, and everything they've done to minister before has to be thrown out because there is no synagogue to go to to start, and they have to completely rethink how they're going to approach ministering to this city of Lystra. Uh, I kind of picture it when I think of this. Uh, I ministered on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago about Acts chapter 6 when they had to make some changes to their methods and their ways of ministry. Their mission hadn't changed. Their message wasn't going to change, but their methods had to adjust a little bit because the conditions were different in Lystra than any place they had ever been before. So Acts chapter 14 verse 8 in the New King James Version says this, And in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet, was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Uh, The other names that they would have known these by would be Jupiter and Mercury, uh, Zeus and Hermes. The same, same gods just go by a different name. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice 
with the multitudes. But when the apostles and Barnabas heard this, they tore their clothes and ran among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn away from these useless things and turn instead to the living God who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness that in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. The passage we just read together is in many ways uh, an encounter with what we might call traditional religion. And we face a lot of that today. We can look around in our world. Maybe there's a lot of things in our world, in our corner of the world, that are different than they were in Lystra. But this one thing is the same that we encounter a lot of traditional ways of thinking, traditional religious ways of thinking, traditional spiritual ways of thinking that are not necessarily rooted in Scripture. And that's the kind of encounter that Paul and Barnabas had in Lystra. And I want to minister from that passage on this thought this morning, apostolic living in an unbelieving world. You may be seated. Apostolic living. I really... I really know for certainty, and it was confirmed to me in just the last 20 minutes or so, that God desires to do a work through somebody's problem today. You came into the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning, and you have a problem that you are facing. You have a struggle, a trial. There's pain. There's brokenness. I don't know what it is, and I'm sure that there's multiple instances of it that are present here today. I come today with a word from God to tell you that God wants to work through your pain and your problem today, and he wants to unleash something powerful in our world if you will allow yourself to be the conduit for it and say, God, whatever you need to do, whatever you desire to do, do it through me. Many times the things that we give attention to in the spiritual present when we're here in the moment have a profound impact on the spiritual future that God wants to do in our life. I'm going to say that again. A lot of the times, there is so much that God desires to do in the present, the right now, that if we will subject ourselves to it, if we'll submit to it in the moment, if we'll notice it and be sensitive to it and be attentive to what the Spirit of God, it is directly connected to things that God wants to do in the future. We have to be present. We need to pay attention to what's going on around us, not just in a natural sense, but in a spiritual sense. There are things that God is doing around us in a church service, on the job in our homes, wherever we might be. And it means that we need to be walking in the Spirit. We need to be led by the Holy Ghost. We need to be present in the moment. How many had a a moment, maybe even this week, where you were with people, but it didn't feel like anybody was really present? How many can point at themselves and say, there's been times when I should have been present but I was distracted by something else. It's never been easier to be distracted by something else. We've got the little glowing rectangles that are in our pocket. 
that can't take up all of our attention because we just want it. We have this impulse to stare at it, and it keeps us from being present. Some of you in the next 20 minutes are going to experience a lot of struggle because you're going to pull that glowing rectangle out. You want to check something, see if we got any notifications, see what that, why it was buzzing, present. We have to be led by the Spirit. I wonder what would happen if we took that approach, if we became so serious about being present in the moment of what God is doing, what kind of things God could do, what kind of things, would it surprise us that God wants to heal somebody today? Would it surprise us that God wants somebody to come to faith and say, you know what, I need to repent of my sins, I've been doing things my way, I need to start doing things his way. Would it surprise us that maybe there's somebody that God wants to refill with the gift of the Holy Ghost and God wants to give them a breakthrough today? But it's going to happen in the present tense. But if we'll allow it to happen in the present tense today, there's just no telling what God might desire to do out in the future. What could God do today that has an eternal impact? Paul and Barnabas were in the city of Lystra and they, when the story picks up and they are in the city of Lystra and as they would have approached that town, they would have passed on their way in this enormous temple that was at the front of the city. It was a temple to the god Zeus or Jupiter and it was right there at the gate. You couldn't enter the city without passing by this enormous temple, monument, shrine to the god Zeus. And the town of Lystra had this local legend that once upon a time, these two gods, Zeus and Hermes, Jupiter and Mercury, came down in the likeness of men. They came down disguised as human beings. And the local legend went that these two gods showed up and they were kind of disguised as just ordinary people. And they showed up, and the story goes that they were rejected by a thousand households. A thousand households of people wouldn't show hospitality, wouldn't take in Zeus and Hermes. And finally, this elderly couple took them in, and they were greatly blessed because in their humble home, they, they allowed these two gods to come in, and they were blessed. And this local legend, this story goes that the gods turned that house into the temple into their temple, and they dealt harshly and judged everybody that had rejected them. It was in that place where that wasn't just a local legend, but it had wo woven its way into their everyday belief system of how they interacted, not just in the natural, but in the spiritual, that Barnabas and Paul step into the picture, and they show up at this city that doesn't have enough of a Jewish population to merit even having a synagogue. These are people that have no knowledge of the Old Testament. They don't know about Moses. They don't know about Elijah. They don't know about the prophets. They don't know about any of those things. Their only, their only anchor for what they believe to be true in the spirit is this story of Zeus and Hermes coming down disguised as people. And so when Barnabas and Paul roll into town and there's a miracle that takes place, there's an act of God that happens, the people rally together and they say, it's happened again. The gods have come down in the likeness of men. And they start to worship. And they start preparing sacrifices for Barnabas and Paul. And they start doing all of this in the Lyconian language, the ancient Greek language of theirs, that 
Paul and Barnabas were probably not very well versed in because it took them a little while to figure out what in the world is going on. The reason that everything got set off that day is because there was one man that as Paul was standing in the marketplace, they didn't have a synagogue to stand in, they didn't have a platform to stand on and declare the things of God in a place to make their case, so they instead had to go to the marketplace, and they were just out among the people having conversations and maybe debating a little bit and, and, and having conversations with groups of people. And Paul and Barnabas are standing out there, and Paul's doing most of the speaking, and they're out there doing that, and there's a man off to the side. There's a man that has been lame crippled from his mother's womb. He's never walked a single day in his life, but he's listening intently to what Paul is saying. He's listening to the message of of Jesus Christ and, and this creator God who created everything, who is unlike all the other gods, who puts all the other gods to shame, and he's listening to this message that Paul and Barnabas are explaining on the city streets of Lystra. And Paul notices. Paul is enough in the moment. He's present enough to notice that he's not just giving a speech. He's not just uh, giving a, uh, a presentation. He's not con- so concerned with being eloquent and polished and well thought of that he fails to notice that there's a man sitting off to the side who's been listening the whole time. And Paul looks at him and observes him intently. And the word of God describes it like this, that Paul looked at him and saw that the man had faith to be healed. How do you see that somebody has faith to be healed? I can't explain it. But I know what happens. I know what happens when I'm preaching or teaching. I know what happens when I'm in conversation with people. I know what happens when when I'm walking and I I just have a a brush with somebody and I I have a conversation with them. And and maybe you've experienced the same thing. There There is the ability to notice when somebody is ready to receive something from God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Hopefully I'm not getting too far out there for apostolic people of God to say that there's an ability to see something with your spiritual eyes and to understand that somebody's ready to receive a healing. That somebody's ready, that somebody's going to be open and receptive to hearing your testimony. That's what I mean about being present in the moment. If we're not present in the moment, we miss moments like that. We miss moments like that. And it's important that we have moments like that because they affect our future in ways that we cannot even calculate. I'll tell you what I mean by that in a little while. Just put a pin in that. We need to be in the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need, we need to be sensitive to the things of God, not just when we're in this room. Brothers and sisters, we need to be sensitive to the things of God when we are out everywhere that we go. Because God isn't limited to what he can do with just drywall and lumber and materials. He isn't confined to this room. But he wants to do things everywhere we are. I'm talking about apostolic living in an unbelieving world. We live in a world that is not all that unlike Lystra. We live in a world that... Most of us grew up in a world where we could take for granted that somebody had some kind of rudimentary understanding of who the God of the Old Testament was, that we would talk about Jesus and they would at least have a, a, a baseline understanding of what the message of Jesus Christ was and what the cross was all about. And when we'd sing about the blood, people wouldn't get freaked out. 
because they understood what the blood meant and where the blood came from and the significance of the blood. But brothers and sisters, more and more, we live in a world that's more like Lystra. It's more like Lystra. And there's translation that's necessary. Certainly, Paul and Barnabas faced a language barrier of some kind because it, it, makes, it makes the point that the people, when they got up in an uproar, they saw that this man was healed and they started getting all stirred up and they started speaking in their own Lyconian language. So there was obviously a language barrier of some kind that was in place, but the language barrier was not the primary obstacle in Lystra. The primary obstacle in Lystra was the background barrier. It was the belief barrier. These were people that, had no, that, that were not raised in the things of God, believing the things of God. They didn't come from believing households. They didn't have any kind of Sunday school experience. They didn't have any kind of person teaching them about the one true and living God. There was a background barrier, a belief barrier that was standing between Barnabas and Paul and the work that really needed to happen. And Paul and Barnabas had to do what we have to do today. Is this okay today? This just tells us, I'm just trying to paint the picture. Because I feel like I, I, I see in, in Lystra so much of the world that we live in today. Can I make a bold statement and say that Barnabas and Paul had to question the norms? The things that everyone in that area thought was true? They had to question the ways that everybody was actually living their life and the habits and the things that they were prioritizing? And can I make a bold statement and say we must do the same in our world, but we can't do it if we're participating in it? We can't, we can't question the norms. We can't pull people out of false doctrine. We can't you can't pull someone out of worldly living and show them that there's a better way when we are living half in the world and half in the church. It doesn't work that way. And the apostle Paul and Barnabas showed up in Lystra and they were completely different, completely other. They were separated from all of that stuff. They didn't have any allegiances. They hadn't made any, any peace agreements with the gods of Greece or any of the ways of thinking that they had or any of the ways of living that they had. They hadn't assimilated to any of that kind of thing. They were instead saying, there's something different that we want to tell you about and we want to tell you that things don't have to be the way that they've always been. It's not a mystery anymore. It's not something that you have to scratch your head and wonder about, but there is a living God who wants to bless you with a gift from heaven. There was a little bit of translation that was necessary. And you'll find, you'll see in this passage that when Paul starts ministering to them, not a single time does he mention the Old Testament. He doesn't reference the Bible. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't know Moses. They didn't know the story of Noah and the ark. They didn't know the same Sunday school songs that Barnabas and Paul knew. They had to start from a completely different place, but they started in a place that they, these people were started to explain to them that there was a God that was unlike any God that they had ever been around, that they'd ever even heard of. You say, Brother Dustin, why didn't they just, why didn't they just tell them about Jesus? All we got to do is tell them about Jesus. Well, the reason Paul didn't just tell them about Jesus, because 
the people would have, they would have received Jesus. They would have said, yes, Jesus. And then they would have inducted Jesus into their pantheon of gods. Because that's the way they were wired up. And that's not what needed to happen. There had to be some deconstruction that took place. He couldn't just throw the whole message of Jesus and the new birth experience and everything at them. He had to start all the way back at square. He had to, go, he had to wind it back further than he was used to winding it back, even in Antioch or Iconium or Jerusalem or Cyprus or any of these other places that he had kind of a leg up and he was able to just launch out and get a head start. He had to take it all the way back. And what amount of wisdom it took. That's why the Bible says he that wins souls is Wise. Wise. It's wisdom to know that the language barrier was not the primary obstacle. That these people weren't, these people in Lystra, they weren't antagonistic toward the gospel of Jesus. And I just, I, I, I feel, I know there's a lot of things swirling in our world today, and I know there's a lot of things that seem like they're against the church, but can I tell you that I I. I I sense in my spirit that the average ordinary person today is not antagonistic toward the gospel. That they are open to the gospel. They just don't know anything about it. I know what the news media says and I know they want to pit us uh, one group against the other and they want us to take an us versus them type mentality to everything and every issue. But I believe like Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said we have a wide open door for ministry. He had a wide open door for ministry in Lystra. And Paul and Barnabas had a decision to make. And we have a decision to make. Are we going to see these things as opposition? Or are we going to see them as opportunity? Certainly there was some spiritual stuff going on in Lystra. Certainly, there was some demonic stuff that had a stronghold set up in that area and in that region. Certainly, there was false teaching going on. There were people that have very poor understandings of the way things happened in the spirit realm. And there were things, that, belief systems that were just so far out there that had to be reeled in and changed. Certainly, that was all the result of a lot of spiritual opposition and activity that was going on in that area. And it, I have no doubt whatsoever that Barnabas and Paul were fully aware of those things. But here's the temptation that Barnabas and Paul had and that we have today. Barnabas and Paul could have seen them coming out in droves with the garland and the sacrifices and everything. They could have seen the temple to Zeus and all the different stuff going on. And they could have decided we're going to take an approach of us versus them. And they're on that team and we're on this team. But I'm here to tell you, that was not the way they approached it at all. Instead, they saw everyone bringing the garlands out and carrying the animals out to sacrifice and sharpening their knives. And they said, what an opportunity we have. Because now we have their attention. And we can start to tell them about the one true living God. And when we gain a revelation of how some of the patterns in the book of Acts point us about how to live in an unbelieving world like we live in today. What we can do is the same thing they did. They preached a bold message that day. And we need a bold message today. We have a bold message. We just need a bold spirit about us. The bold message that they preached, you can read it in Acts chapter 14. 
Paul actually came out and said the words. He said, y'all are worshiping useless things. And you need to turn away from those useless and worthless things. And you need to turn toward the living God who created the earth and the heavens and the seas and everything that's in them. He said, I've got a bold message for you, Lystra. I don't know if you're going to like it at first, but it is the real thing. I have your undivided attention, and I need to preach a message to you of repentance. Repent from your sins. Repent from worshiping all the useless things. Repent of the ways that you've been organizing your life and the way that you've been living and the way that you've been thinking and turn towards the one true living God. And the core of the message that Paul and Barnabas preached that day was repentance. And it's the core no matter where you are, whether you're in Jerusalem or Antioch or Iconium or Cyprus or Lystra, the message is still repentance. We have to find a way to get to repentance. We have to find a way in every interaction that we have with people, no matter how different they are, no matter how differently they think, no matter how they were raised or what language they speak, the language that is universal, the call that is universal is repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the message that worked back then. It's the message that still works today. When we stand and we say a bold message and we say, it's time to repent of the useless things that you've attached yourself to. Can I just say that in the house of the Lord this morning? That it doesn't matter what things you've attached yourself to in this world. Brother, it is time to detach from those things. Because the day is coming that the Lord is going to return. And he's going to judge us. He's according to the things that we've put first. The message today is still repentance. Let me talk to the person this morning that when I started talking about repentance, you didn't do it on purpose, but you kind of checked out because you've already repented. You say, I've repented. You asked me a little while ago, when's the first time I received the Holy Ghost? I tried thinking back and it's been so long and I repented all the way back then. But can I put it in terms for someone like us that maybe you repented a long time ago and you've been doing your best to live a life of repentance, but maybe, just maybe, as a disciple, there's occasionally some things that you need to repent of even on a Sunday morning? Can I ask it in the form of a question? Are you fully following Christ? Have you torn down the temple to self and ambition? Is there a part of you that is still bowing down to the cultural pressures of the world? Can I get in our business? If we looked at your screen time and compared it against your prayer time, what would it look like? I'm talking about apostolic living in an unbelieving world. The musicians would come. That Paul and Barnabas came through Lystra. Acts chapter 14 is just the first missionary journey that they took. They started venturing into some territories that they'd never been and Lystra was one of them. But as the book of Acts goes and as you continue to read the days to come, you'll see that there were times when they would go on other trips and they would go 
to Lystra again. During his second and third missionary journeys, Paul and his team would return to the city of Lystra and he would check on the church. He would see what was going on. He would build them up. He would edify them. He would correct them and he would position them for even more growth. And every time that he would stop and do that, he would be present just the same way that he was that first time they made the trip to Lystra. Whenever he was out there in the marketplace and he was having a talk with somebody and there was a man, there was a man who was lame from his mother's womb. He was crippled. He'd never walked a day in his life. And this man was listening to Paul intently. And Paul was, had the presence of mind. He was present enough in the moment. He was sensitive enough to the Holy Ghost. But he had faith to be healed. It's the same approach that Paul would take in the years to come every time he would pass through Lystra. Because Paul understood that the things that we do in the present have a profound impact on the future. And that if we will be present in the moment, if we'll, on a Sunday morning, just like this, brothers and sisters, if we will shut out everything else for a little while, there's just absolutely no telling. There's no limit to what God might do. That's the approach that Paul took every time he went to Lystra. There was a wave of ministry that started that day in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra. And eventually, that wave of ministry reached the house of a lady named Eunice. And Eunice was raising a son named Timothy. Timothy from Lystra would become Paul's closest co-worker. Paul recruited his beloved assistant, Timothy, from Lystra. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 says, Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. Paul would later write to the Philippian church, and he would say this about Timothy, I have no one like him. Well, one day, many years later, Paul would write a final letter from a prison cell. He's on death row. And his last words would be addressed to Timothy from Lystra, his son in the faith. I want to trace a line this morning from Timothy and everything Timothy did in his generation. I want to trace a line from Timothy all the way back to that day in Acts chapter 14, where there was a man who had the presence of mind and sensitivity to the spirit to see that there was a lame man who had faith to be healed. If this lame man had never been paid attention to, if that moment had been missed for the walker, does anything ever happen in Lystra? Is there ever a revival in Lystra? If that lame man isn't healed and there's no revival in Lystra, does Timothy ever come to the faith? The future depends on the present in ways that we can't even calculate. You can't tell me that day when Paul was in Acts chapter 14 and he saw that lame man crippled from his mother's womb who had faith to be healed and God wanted to do something right there in that moment in the present tense. You cannot tell me that as great of a man as the apostle Paul was that he had a full understanding of all the ways that that moment would shape his life in the years to come. 
You cannot tell me this morning that the Apostle Paul had a full understanding of the impact that that one day in Lystra would have on eternity. That that would end up being the place where Paul would recruit the next generation of apostolic ministry who would reach places that he was never able to go, who would touch lives that he was never able to touch. When Paul was fading from this life, it was Timothy that he reached to and said, Timothy, everything that I've poured into you, all of my life's work, Timothy, guard the deposit, Timothy. Find other people that you're able to entrust it to. But my message, my ministry, everything that we've done in this generation, Timothy, everything that I've seen, I'm going to hand it over to you. Could it be that on a Sunday morning in November 2023 that there's someone in the house who has faith to be healed? Could it be on a Sunday morning just like this that somebody in the house of the Lord feels something stirring in them and they're saying, you know what, I feel like God's calling me to more. I feel like God's got a plan for my life. I feel like there's something God wants to do in my family. God's been convicting me about something. Could it be that on a Sunday morning just like this, there's a husband and a wife who are going to make a declaration together and say, you know what, as for me and my house... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And because you make that moment of declaration together, it starts changing things in your children's life, in your grandchildren's future, who maybe aren't even born yet. And God starts a process right now on a Sunday morning. Because somebody decided, I'm going to live by the book. In an unbelieving world, I know the world's coming apart, but I'm going to be sensitive to the things of God right now. God, what would you do right now? Lord, what would you have me to do right now? Stand with me all over this place and lift up your hands. The Holy Ghost is here right now. He's been here. He's been waiting for you. It's no accident that you're here today. What is it that Jesus would do today that would have eternal impact, but it would start right here in this moment? They're going to start to sing, and I want to invite you to come up around these altars. I think it would be okay if every single soul in this room made a